This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I am your host, Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, and I'm joined this week by a very special guest, and that's Osama Dorius. How are you, Osama? I'm doing great, Drew. Thank you for having me online. I just realized that I never asked you how to pronounce your last name. You said Did it I... perfectly. It's Dorius. Okay. Okay. Just like it looks. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Um, and yeah, so where are you from, man? Um, I'm actually born in Iraq. Uh, Baghdad, Iraq, and uh, moved to Canada when I was about five years old, so 33 years ago, uh, Montreal, Canada, to be specific, and I've lived here ever since. Cool, cool. And you work for Warner Brothers? That's absolutely right. Uh, Warner Brothers Montreal. Games in Montreal. Uh, I've been here for almost two years. I can't really say much about the projects I'm working on, uh, except that they're really, really cool. The project I, I just recently um, left, um, because they're not projects in the studio uh, is um, the only thing I could say about it. It's, it's a major um, console game, open world okay. universe. Uh, and in what universe? The DC universe, the DC comics oh, okay. universe. Uh, nice. So, yeah, it's really awesome. It's really, really cool, but I can't really say anything else. <laughs> okay. So I'm sorry about that. It's too early. Game. It's not announced yet, and, but it's really kick-ass. I'm really tempted to like uh, speculate and try to get you to uh, <laughs> just narrow it down to which DC uh, universe <laughs> or you know which DC character it might be. No, that's I'm cool. Sorry. That's I can awesome. neither confirm nor deny. But you feel feel free to guess. <laughs> guess all you want. Yeah, yeah. I'm not definitely I'll shake my head on the podcast. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> we're, I'm just going to say it's a it's a Batman game, and we'll just move on. I'm either um, nodding or shaking my head right now. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so that's really cool. Are you a, are you a comic guy? Are you like a yes. superhero guy? Um, okay. I have to confess, I'm I, I, like even though I am a comic guy, and I used to have like half a closet full of comic books. Uh, I'm mostly a Marvel fan, and there are a few franchises uh-huh. from DC that have been exceptions. Uh, but actually, okay. traditionally, I've been mostly a Marvel fan. I've moved away from uh, superhero comics uh, and have started reading more indie stuff. Uh, okay, but that nice. doesn't mean I, I lost my love for them. So, but the franchise yeah. that uh, I was working on that the, uh, that I contributed to uh, is definitely one of those DC franchises that I loved, and it was actually one of my principal reasons for joining Warner Brothers. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, it seems like I don't like I'm not really. So I was growing up. I was a comic guy, and I was actually like a Marvel fan as well. Um, I read Spider Man and um x-men growing up um like a lot of people i think those are probably the two most common like growing up that people read those are probably um, my two favorite add hulk to that those are my three favorite okay cool but uh but i've kind of got i mean just you know you you just there's only so many hobbies you can keep up with um you know how it is so i don't really read comics anymore but so we're about to launch this comic book podcast uh with all thy nerd and so I've been kind of following what they're doing more. And uh, those guys are really into DC comics, it seems like. Um, it seems to be I guess the whatever late... you grew up with more than anything right. else. Right, sure. Yeah, I think that's some of it too. But they they talk all the time about uh, Tom King's Batman run, I guess. Yes. So um, anyway, it seems like they're doing some really interesting things with that. So I'm, I've been tempted to like get back into it uh, here. But we'll see. What was there like an indie comic that you're? You said you get into indie comics. Or is there one you really like? Oh, these I days? really like One Hundred Bullets. Have you heard of it? Yes, oh, I have heard of it. Amazing! It's it's something else. I, and I didn't ha- without spoiling it because it's very easy to spoil it. Um, One Hundred Bullets. So the best thing apart about it is when you start reading it, you really have no idea what it's going to lead up to. It's just full of surprises, and, and yeah. it's gorgeous. I mean, it's very stylish. Yeah, that's cool. I may have to check it out. Um, that's 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 cool, man. Well, um, yeah. So, so you, what did you work on? You've worked on several games in the past. Can you give us kind of like an overview of some of the things you've done in the games industry? Absolutely. Um, I'll give you it chronologically because otherwise I'll forget things. <laughs> so sure. I started about twelve years ago uh, at a company called Game Loft. It was a one of the bigger uh, 
mobile game companies. Um, I started off as a generalist game designer because pretty much the teams were really, really tiny. Uh, you have to keep in mind, I started before smartphones. So we worked on the flip phones and we made games for that. Um, so the games were really... Oh, wow. <laughs> like, like, those are pretty simple games, if I remember yes. right. Like... Like snake, yes, things like game. that. We had a few <laughs> things like that. Okay, cool. ones and thematic, like, uh, but really mechanically they were very very simple. Like the first game I worked on was a poker game that you played on a flip phone. Um, that's a that's a game that I was hired for. Um, I okay. Nice. Those teams were tiny and the production times were really short, so we'd work on a project for two or three months and ship it. It was very you could imagine like it wouldn't take more than that, and we'd be about five people. Yeah. So even though I was. Uh, the, I was the only designer, so the, basically that's why I had to be a generalist. I used to design the AI, the UI, the combat, if there was any the, any any aspect of game design I wasn't responsible for because I was the only designer in, you know, most of the time. What happened is the teams got bigger, and as the teams got bigger, I had to specialize, and I took on a few different specializations. Uh, so I was a camera designer at one point, I was a cinematic designer, then I became a narrative designer. Um, on their flagship title, which was called Dungeon Hunter, that's the one that was kind of like Diablo okay. but for iPhones. Uh, it also came out on the on the PS on the PlayStation Three, I believe. So by this time, you're you're working with, with obviously more complex games. You've got the iPhone exactly going. So. And, and GameLoft, yeah. okay, I, cool. I made a Wii game. I made a Nintendo DS game. I thought like GameLoft didn't only make mobile games; we just primarily made mobile games. Okay. Then mm-hmm. um, I had a, an offer to become a lead game designer at a company that made games for airplanes. <laughs> so I did okay, not, nice. not flight simulators, like the games you play on the airplanes. Yeah, yeah. You get that little controller, and they would charge you exactly. for it sometimes, or, or whatever. the touch screen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, or the touch screen that's sure. you know bothering the person who's sitting in front of you. So um, I released a, quite a few games on that as a lead designer. The company I worked for, GE Media. It had like 95% of the market share. So almost at one point, almost every game in an airplane was made by them or by us, I should say. Oh, nice. uh, I did that for about two yeah. years. Then I moved on to Ubisoft where I worked on a game called For Honor. Yeah, yes. I've heard so of it. it. Was a mission. Small little Ubisoft exactly. game. Exactly. <laughs> Just kidding. That's cool. That's awesome. I was a mission designer and a game mode designer, or, you know, a specialization of game design. Um, then I went to yeah. a mobile, sorry, um, indie company called minority um i shipped two yeah. vr games there and now i'm at warner brothers okay. doing triple a again so minority is the company that made uh Papo exactly. and Yo, that's right? exactly right i didn't work okay. on Papo Yo. i had to release yeah. it before i joined the company um, i worked on a yeah. game called time machine gear vr and another one called the yeah. other room both of them are vr games nice yeah minority does some yeah. cool stuff I, I like that studio a lot um i met uh, Vander Caballero at GDC oh, one wow. year. Okay. And, Small uh, world. Yeah, that was a cool thing because uh, I just I really admire uh, his like sensibilities and his approach to game design. Um, so it was like it was just a cool thing to to get to meet him and, and it's definitely him a very that. interesting character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, definitely. That's my definitely. Uh, my career has been moving on to work from one interesting character to the next. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Well, what's the is there like a highlight in that in that regard then of of like somebody you worked for that was really great or or a game that you made that Actually, you're most proud if you, of? If you're talking um, about somebody I worked for is uh, my current boss Jeff Eleanor. He was my boss at Ubisoft when he went to Warner Brothers. He invited me to join him, and the experience was so good that I did. I that's why I joined him at Warner Brothers. That was my primary reason. The secondary yeah. reason was pitch of the game itself was like jaw dropping um so combined i couldn't yeah. uh, say no uh, as for a game that I'm, I'm particularly proud of uh actually i wrote uh, as a narrative designer i wrote the story for dungeon hunter 4 and 5 except i left the company about halfway through okay. the production of 5 uh, but 4 was all me mm-hmm. from beginning to end and uh it's i'm very very proud of the work i did on dungeon, dungeon hunter 4 it's a uh, yeah, the game, cool. I mean, if, when you play the game, uh, the story is not very, uh, what's the word? It's, it's not in your face. It's not really, um, like, put into focus. Uh, but the ba- main idea is that a lot of the people who played our games on the forums actually guessed what the story w- really was about. 
I don't know why I'm trying not to spoil it, because <laughs> it is a pretty old game. It came out a while ago, but basically, uh, the story was an analogy for the uh, like for war, for nuclear war arms. Um, but in- instead okay. of nuclear arms, it was like the summoning of demons, and there's a lot of like fallible narrator things in there. So basically, both factions are blaming each other uh, for who summoned the demon first, but the end mm-hmm. result was actually that they both did and blamed it on that next basically that's how nuclear weapons works with arms race um and it was it was subtle it was very subtle but i was really really proud that and and very happy that a lot of our fans on the forums figured it out and pieced it all together and even came up with a few uh hints that i guess were subconscious because they made perfect sense but i didn't even think about them uh so that that's probably my crowning achievement was that actually succeeded in um you know telling the story that i wanted to tell Sounds like you've gotten to do like a lot of different things in the in the games industry. Like you have a really um, broad set I'm of experiences, which I imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Was that uh, is that the first game that you've like worked heavily on yes. narratively? Like being I mean, involved. Well, in I would story? say it's the first one where that was my job title as a narrative designer. But I've always uh, like I think of everything as a story. That's how my mind works. Even when I was mm-hmm. designing, like I was an economy designer on on one of my projects, and even as an economy designer, it was all about the story of what the player wants to feel or needs to get at this point or next. Mm. Uh, that's that's just how I, I have to translate things into a story for it to make sense to me, um, and that's. Yeah. Uh, like for when I was working on Modern Combat, which is kind of like a Call of Duty type game uh, at Gameloft, uh, I was just a game designer, but I kept injecting my two cents on how I thought the character should be or whenever I thought the story was inconsistent one way or mm-hmm. the next. And um, because of my, like, I, like I, almost as a side job, I used to rewrite the stories for certain levels or certain characters just because they didn't, you know, that was a passion of mine, right? They didn't. They didn't really. Nobody mm-hmm. at that time, especially at GameLoft, but even in the industry, there was no title of narrative designer. That wasn't really a thing. Like I, I, I mean, you know, from the beginnings of the video game industry, titles were very different than they are now. There was just game developer, and game developer was a person yeah. who made a game, whether it was art or design or code. All of them were coders because the teams were so small, and the specialization came much, much later. Narrative design is not an exception. Um, at one point, the game designers were the writers and the narrative designers, and that split happened much later. And even to this day, a lot of people are confused about what the difference is between mm-hmm. a narrative designer and a writer. Uh, when the, because sometimes, I mean, there's a big overlap, but they are distinct jobs. Um, so I, I'm yeah. very curious to see how what other specializations are going to come up and I mean, other divisions are going to happen in the future. Like even like a level artist or a level mm-hmm. designer used to be the one and the same thing. Artist also created the, the uh, spaces. Now we have that split into at least four different jobs. You have the uh, the, the person who lays out right. the geometry. You have the person who arts it. You have the person who lights it. And you have the person who puts any interactive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and all those are, are are playing a part in the story of a game too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And they work with the narrative team as well. All, every every part of that plays uh, like plays into the same story, the same right. narrative. Yeah, yeah. Because so you have narrative designers and the answer to the narrative director, who answers to the creative director, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because games are so unique in the way that they communicate. You know, you're the I guess uh, I think it's Brenda Romero that always has like the 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 message is it the message is the mechanics are the message like. What you're doing yes. <laughs> in the game are, is going to communicate the story, and so um, you know, like uh, if you're designing levels, you're you're participating in the narrative design. Like even if you're not the one writing all the, I think a lot of times like gamers think of the story as like the like the cutscenes and, and the uh, <laughs> like and the lore <laughs> and the stated you know the all the stated narrative bits, um, but yes. the, in reality, like um, the 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 story of the game is like the experience that you have playing it and which involves all kinds of things. So, um, well, absolutely. And you're, and so now you're working, I imagine since you're working on a big open world game at uh, Warner brothers, like you're, you're, you're working with a lot of different teams, I would imagine. Right. Absolutely. Um, how do you, 
when you're working on a project that big, I know you can't tell us anything about specific about the project, <laughs> but like, how do you get everybody on the same page as far as the story that that game's going to tell? Like, like the feel that players are going to have as they, as they play it. Well, on this project, that's not my role. Right. I'm not the, the narrative director. We're lucky enough to have a very strong narrative director that does that. Uh, but really, to be honest, uh, every game developer in that position is also a salesman. You have to consider that. Every, yeah. Like Even when I'm writing a design document to pitch in whatever system you could imagine, whether it's an economy system or combat or AI, uh, basically my pitch document is it's exactly that. It's a pitch. It's a sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to get buy-in from everyone else. Uh, and for, for and, and basically once we go up there and we uh, up there like figuratively, um, we're very vulnerable. We have to defend it. And uh, once people are comfortable, like with our, uh, our peers, they're comfortable with the design. Only then do we start implementing it at the very beginning. And you're going to make mistakes along the way. That's okay. Uh, and through the iterative process, you start to solidify it by working with the other teams. So basically the design bleeds from one team to the next. Uh, so it's not exactly what you started off at the beginning, but you still need a solid design at the beginning and you need buy-in at the beginning before you even start it. So if you consider all of that, um, basically you never stop pitching your, 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 your designs. You're constantly pitching it. You're constantly getting people on board. And in, this, in the industry, especially in Montreal, um, there's a lot of competition. People, mm-hmm. if they're unhappy, they could easily go to another company. You, like, if you turn around or you sneeze, <laughs> two <laughs> people have left the company. And, and even if everything is going really well, that's just the, the reality of Montreal has about 10,000 game jobs. Wow. That's uh, two thirds of Canada's game jobs. There's about 17,000. Uh, uh, just to put that into um, like uh, perspective, compared yeah. to the States, it's about mm-hmm. 35,000. Video game jobs in the states that are direct video game jobs, not indirect. So Canada has about as half of what the U.S. has, and Montreal has about two thirds of what Canada has. So it's huge. It's it's very, very, very different. Right. Uh, It's a hub. It's definitely a hub. Like Montreal and San Francisco are probably the two biggest hubs. Austin used to be up there. Mm -hmm. Um, So people, you have to get buy-in. Otherwise, they're just going to move on to the project that they like more. Yeah. Do you like living in a city like that that has so, so many other game designers? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I love going to different conferences and meeting game designers from all over the world. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite things. Uh, but every time I hear how happy they are to meet us, I'm, it's, it's a very different – like I, I've met designers from Atlanta at one point. They say, yeah, our meetups are pretty big. We get three people. <laughs> like we get three yeah. designers you know, i speak to three other designers and i'm like wow that's that's nice <laughs> we get like on our, our our igda meetups at one point when they were at their biggest we had 900 people it's that's not awesome. the same and this is just a, a person yeah, yeah. who came to give a talk uh, montreal is very very different than everywhere else yeah yeah and you have people coming from all over the world uh, to make games there, I think, and yes. and that's that's got to be pretty cool. You get to probably get to meet a lot of interesting, diverse people. Absolutely, and they're diverse in every way. Like, uh, I mean, from their backgrounds to what companies they worked for to how they used to make games in those companies, it's like there's a lot of learning going on and a lot of sharing. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, so you said you were born in Iraq. That's right. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And uh, and then you moved to Canada when you were five. So do you have many memories of, of, of Iraq growing up? Actually, in between Iraq and Canada, uh, we lived in the Arab Emirates. I left Iraq when I was about a year and a half, so I have zero memories of oh, Iraq. okay, yeah. Uh, I have uh-huh. very few memories of the Arab Emirates, uh, mostly revolving around toys. <laughs> I think that might be normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but my, my, like all my vivid memories, uh, my childhood growing up, it's all been in Canada, specifically Montreal. And then what, so what brought your family to, to Montreal? Well, my, I was born in 79. So the Iraq, uh, Iran war was about to start in 81. So that's the mm-hmm. reason to leave Iraq. Cause my, my father, uh, basically saw tanks in the streets and he's like, okay, this is not good. Where can I yeah. find a job outside of this country mm-hmm. before whatever it is that's going to happen? Cause nobody knew war was going to start really just uh, yeah. military activity started slowly and then it exploded into war. Right. That's how these things yeah. happen. So what did your fled. dad do? In, he was a petroleum when, engineer. Actually, he worked with the, uh, with the government. 
Okay. Yeah. So is that, that, that's interesting. Like a uh, petroleum engineer in the sense of like, of, of energy. Yeah. But basically he worked okay. on a, uh, a rig to drill for okay. oil. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he was a lowly petroleum engineer. He wasn't a high placed official or anything like yeah. that. So he didn't, he wasn't privy to any information of what was kind of happening at the government level, even though he was a government employee. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But, you know, war is bad. Whoever was able to, whoever had the opportunity, like fled Iraq at that time. That was the last chance to do so before all the borders were closed. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, initially- that's amazing to think that, like, you know, um, if he had, if he had, uh, you know, been a little bit slower to make the decision, like <laughs> yes. your life could be completely different. Yes. You know, and much shorter, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, actually, the reason he came to Montreal, he wasn't intent. He didn't intend to come to Montreal. Uh, we traveled to Calgary because Calgary in Canada has oil. And that he had a job uh, offer there uh, after yeah. being in the Emirates for four years. Um, and when he stopped in Calgary, uh, sorry, when he um, was traveling to Calgary, him and my mom had a layover in Montreal and fell in love with the city. And that was really it. Like he had a well-paying job waiting for him in Calgary. But he really like they really wanted to to live in Montreal because it was a lot. It was very diverse. It was multi ethnic, uh, and he mm-hmm. thought it would be easier for us to transition as a family to live there. Well, Cal- yeah. Calgary wasn't as diverse, if uh, if you follow my meaning. Um, sure. So he yeah. actually did not have it's a lot smaller too, oh, right? Yes. Calgary is. Yeah. It's very. It was very different. There's nothing wrong with Calgary. It's just that you know they decided at that point that Montreal was where they wanted to to yeah. set up shop. When I'm sure with it being less diverse you know, what, 30 years ago, yeah. that was uh, probably, yeah. I'm sure Calgary is a lot different now, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. Very, it's much more diverse now. But at the time, it just, yeah. it didn't feel as welcoming uh, to sure. people who yeah. are from the Middle East specifically at that point. Yeah. So the decision was, you know what, I don't have a job in Montreal, but we'll just go there and figure out a way to make it work. So he actually became a businessman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he uh, took a job <laughs> at a gas station just so he could, you know, perfect his language or like make it a little bit better. Um, yeah. and, uh, after that it was simply like, you know, he, we had a little bit of money saved up and he started one store and then that became two stores and that was it. That's cool. Yeah. And your, your mom as well. She studied uh, accounting, but my parents okay. had eight children. So my mom didn't work very long. <laughs> yeah. 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 She had, she had the, uh, she had her hands, the hard job. Yeah, she had her hands. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. didn't work at an office very long is what I meant to say. She worked harder than anyone yeah. else I know. <laughs> and you are, so you're one of eight. What? Where do you fall in the eight children? I'm the eldest. The eldest. Yeah. When we left Iraq, it was me and my sister who was 30 days old. Oh, wow. Yes. So, uh, and and how? what's the age range of, of your brothers and sisters? So, okay, I have to do the math every single time. So I'm 39. That's okay. My... Just give me a ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 39. My sister under me is 37. Then there's 33, 32, 31. I'm, that's five. Then there's 29, 27, and 19. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> so... So yeah, so that's uh, so you have a brother as uh, a brother sister that's nineteen. It's my brother. It's my youngest brother. Yeah, he, we were twenty one years difference. Wow, that's crazy. Um, do you do you like having lots of brothers and sisters? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know how to exist otherwise. Uh, like we've always had a very very big family. Uh, we get along, yeah. even though we're very very different people. Um, yeah. To this day, like I mean, we're very 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 close practically raise each other. Like I changed my brother's diapers. Yeah. I, mean, I was, I was more of a father figure to him than a brother for obvious reasons. I mean, because of the age difference. Especially. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. If you fit some of those stereotypes about the eldest brother, like very responsible. <laughs> and yes, I had no choice, but like, <laughs> yeah, I actually initially didn't want to get a driver's license because I knew that would mean driving my family around. I, I buckled my, <laughs> yeah. like through like my, yeah. my parents applied pressure. They're like, no, you have to help out. So I was the opposite of all my friends who were trying to get driver's license and their parents were telling them no. For me, I was like, okay, as soon as I was old enough, I had my license <laughs> mm-hmm. and the car. And the yeah, car. yeah. I had a car as well because you know, what's the point of? And you're still still close with your 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 yes, parents. Yes, absolutely. Are they still? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, my my. Okay. Um, my mom is in Montreal like all the time. My father, who, whose health isn't well, is in Montreal half the year. 
Yeah, he's he, he had you know some kidney issues. Yeah, my parents recently moved. Uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and they recently moved here. Um, and I remember, like when I was younger, it was I kind of wanted some space from them. Um, but now that I have, you know, I'm I'm thirty, almost thirty six, and I have kids. I'm like, I'm so glad they're here. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> you know, it's it's really nice. You have? Yeah, um, I have three, so we have a seven year old daughter, a four year old daughter, and then we have uh, we have a almost one year old wow. son. It's a similar so, spread. My yeah. son is ten. My daughter's eight, and the youngest daughter is five. Yeah, so okay, just offset, cool. but about so, the same ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So your youngest is a daughter. What were the other My two? My eldest is a son, and then I have two daughters. Okay. What do, What does your family think of your like? Do you do you play? Are, are your kids your older kids? You are they able to play any of the games? Well, that you make? games I make more or less. Games in general, yes. I mean we. We are a gaming family. We play a lot of things together. Uh, we have, uh, you know, regular consoles, PS4, Switch, etc. Um, we also have like a rock uh-huh. band set up. We're a band ourselves. <laughs> uh, yeah, so nice. we have we have it all going. But we also make games with my kids. I've been doing that since they were very very young. So we make board games, card. Games, oh, that's cool. So you're you're training them <laughs> to with some skills. It's, that's it's cool. just a fun activity. I mean, it's I've always wanted to make games with my kids even before I had kids. I just didn't know how. And then at some point, I kind of yeah. tried and figured it out. Um, and it's a lot of fun. You could learn a lot about your kids while making games, and you know, you could teach them too through game making. Uh, so, yeah. whether what do you what do you use to make games with them? Is there like we a... make either? We're talking about video games specifically because we make card games and board games as well. Uh, but for video, oh, that's cool. Uh, we use Game Maker. Uh, there's we dabbled in Construct Two as well. We made a couple of games at that, but Game Maker primarily because I know it better. And uh, okay. yeah. Construct is actually an easier engine, but I don't know how to do too many of the complicated things I'd like to do or the more complicated things. Well, Game Maker, yeah. it's my prototyping uh, tool of choice. So it's easier for me uh-huh. to just do it there. So with Game Maker, they're not necessarily like learning programming uh, uh, or like programming languages or anything. A little, little or, or how does that? Because there's some visual programming, bit. so they understand the logic of it. If they ever want to transition to actually learn how to use code, it should be easy. But so far, it's only been my son that's dabbled in editor proper my, my daughters haven't shown that much interest in in that yet that might change because yeah. my daughter's eight my son started showing interest at nine so maybe it's an age thing the games yeah, are, great, are yeah. great uh for us but i don't think other people want to play them <laughs> <laughs> yeah one day maybe, maybe right i mean they're just getting started yeah, yeah, so yeah. Well, um, our, we have some I'd... card games that are actually really really fun some card games and board games but uh, the video oh, games cool so are you, you guys, you guys are board gamers? Uh, yeah, yeah we, we love board games. Board games and card games. Nice. Absolutely. What's your favorite? Board game? Uh, we like Sushi Go Party. I just picked up uh, My Little Scythe. So my daughter and I have been playing, my oldest daughter and I have been playing that quite a oh, bit. Wow, that sounds fun. We haven't tried that one yet. Yeah. Do, are you familiar with Scythe? It's, yes, or Scythe. Scythe. Uh, the, the okay. Scythe, not the My Little Scythe. So, <laughs> so, yeah, My Little Scythe is like... This guy, this dad just made it with his daughter, made that game with his... They, like, he wanted to take the concept of Scythe and make it simpler so, like, it'd be easier for kids yeah. to learn. So he just pared it down and then gave it, like, a My Little Pony mm-hmm. theme. And the guy who made Scythe found out about it and was like, hey, I want to help you publish this. So they published it, but they, they took out the My Little Pony theme and just gave it, like, a more generic... um, Or not more... But just, like... A, a theme that they're not going to get sued for, I guess. <laughs> That's uh, a great idea. I, okay, I'm adding it to my list yeah. right now as we speak. I'm yeah. always on the lookout so it's for, great. for games to play with them. Yeah, yeah. I like it a lot because, you know, a lot of kids' games um, don't have a lot of strategy. And so this has this has some strategy in it, but it's just the right amount. And so, like, like I, I play with my seven-year-old all the time, and uh, she beats me most of the time. And I'm not like most of the time I'm trying, like I'm not letting her win. That's amazing. You know? <laughs> That's precisely so, actually one so, of yeah. the reasons we started making our own, own board games and card games is I it took it upon myself as a challenge to try to figure out how to make games that all my kids can play regardless of their age. So what is a game that yeah. even if you don't understand rules and don't want to, but you want to participate, you'll be able to participate without getting confused. But that if you wanted to have a level of mm-hmm. strategy because you know you're older and that's how you how things stay interesting. Uh, so that's that's all my 
games revolve around that. Like, how do you make it simple and yet oh, nice. still strategic? Uh, I failed a couple of times because, you know, that's how yeah. game making works. Uh, but we have a couple of gems like that mm-hmm. we actually really love playing. And when the cousins come over, we play with them as well. It's been a while, but, you know, because you know, kids are like that. Once you make something, they want to move on to making the next thing. I think they enjoy making the games more than playing them in general. That's not bad. You should You should think about publishing or, like, you know, pitching those. It's so easy these days to <laughs> to do that, you know, to like get a Maybe. game out there into the world. Maybe that wasn't the original intention of making them, but uh-huh. yeah, I'm not I'm not against the idea. Maybe yeah. I'll package them up. <laughs> if there's a good one, you know. Yeah. I could be a fun, I have a couple of good ones. <laughs> yeah, it could be a fun family project for the for your kids. Um Absolutely. So Thank you. it's a good idea. So you uh was was religion a part of your upbringing? Yes, absolutely. My my parents were both very religious and traditional. Okay. Um and uh i mean we grew up because we grew up in canada we were kind of like between worlds uh mm-hmm. which is normal because uh montreal's uh almost decidedly not religious uh, there are exceptions because there are people from all over the world but i mean the most people who are like from quebec are actually not very religious at all so we had a little bit of the both sides of the coin if that makes sense sure yeah yeah like i went to a public high school uh, and uh, there were very like I could count the the number of people who believed in God on one hand. Yeah, yeah, or at least the, the ones I knew who believed in God. Which really, there was no difference to me at that. And if I didn't know you believed in God, you didn't believe in God. That was like the default. But you sense. always like you always did. Have you always like I know you grew up uh, Muslim, right? Yes, and That's right. so. So did you always believe in God or was there ever a time when you're kind of like, I don't know if I want to be, I don't know if I really believe this. There was, was a time, definitely. I think, and it's very normal. Like it, I had my moments of doubt, I think when I was like 16, 17, mm-hmm. where I started, that, that's when I started thinking for myself really and reading books and uh, questioning. Um, but like in, 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 inevitably my questions led me back to religion and back to, to God. So like I, that, I don't really consider it a time of atheism because I never really said or denounced God or said, I don't believe in God. It was more like I was open to the idea that God didn't exist at that point. And that was mm-hmm. the first time that I was before I just took it for granted that other, like I'm right. And other people don't believe in, in the thing, but I'm right about. And then at that point I'm like, wait, am I right? That's the first time that I actually have started to question that. Um, yeah. Actually, what's really interesting is when I um, when I decided that okay, I do believe in God and I'm Muslim now. But when I became Muslim again, I guess uh, I wasn't uh, of the same denomination as my parents anymore, and that caused a little bit of friction <laughs> because okay. through my readings, like I uh, I made up my own decision. And to, like to people who are looking from the outside, they're like, "Whatever, you're still Muslim; it makes no difference." But to my parents, it was a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm the only one of my brothers and sisters who did that went through like landed in a different denomination than uh so what is what is their denomination um they're shia shia muslims okay yeah and And you are orthodox like sunni muslim okay mainstream and what like i've read a little bit about this but our listeners probably won't know the difference what can you like give us like the quick difference yes well it it was there's a historic schism that happened after the death of the prophet um and uh, uh through a little bit, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, but after um, a, f- a few decades, there was a schism that happened that was uh, uh, political and geographical. So there are a few areas that diverged in their beliefs, uh, specifically about one of the descend- descendants of the prophet. Uh, the, mm-hmm. it, he was uh, his cousin, but he was also his son-in-law, and they thought that his uh, word was equal to the prophet and that he also had revelation and that his sons did all the way down to the twelfth son, and they followed that lineage. Um, so it was an offshoot. In, in well, I mean, from our, my, I don't want to be disrespectful to them either. From our point of view, from mainstream Islam's point of view, it was a, an offshoot of Islam, um, mm-hmm. because of political strife. So that that was you. something that when I was reading and like questioning and uh, studying about all the religions, I became convinced that uh, the path that I was on with like that my parents were on. Uh, wasn't the right one that I, I just wanted to be apolitical a in that sense. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't even actually, I had no plans of talking about this at all. This was kind of really organic and interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's the yeah. first time I've ever told somebody this. <laughs> so that was hard. That was hard for your parents when you, when you made this decision to, 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 you know, go with Orthodox uh, Islam. What, how did they, 
how did they respond to that? Well, confusion mostly because they, to them it was very clear that they they felt like it was a failing on their side that they didn't teach me well, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, and to be honest, I was a little bit of a hothead and I didn't really, um, you know, I, I didn't do my part in being calm and level-headed to explain to them why. So, so I was right. 16, 17 year old, they, like project. <laughs> yeah. you, how do you think I, I, I contributed to it? So <laughs> it was really that, that. I mean, when I was 16 or 17, I was really, um, level-headed and wise and made only good decisions. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I guess I was an about. exception. <laughs> I'm to- totally kidding. <laughs> of course. Uh, but, but yeah. But yeah, so basically it took, uh, it took a, a couple of years for us to really like fix our, our relationship. Uh, and we've been mm-hmm. on very, very, very good terms ever since. So that's not an issue anymore. Yeah. But it was a sticking point. That's great. I mean, that you, that you got past it. Thank you. I mean, I think like, it's hard, like it's hard with your parents sometimes because um, I think a lot of times we can we can take being different from almost anybody in our lives. Like we know that there's diversity of thought and belief and background and that kind of thing. And a lot of times, I think for a lot of people, it doesn't bother us. But then if if that's not present in our family, it feels like Absolutely. feels personal or something. And it's born of love. Like you want the you you believe that your belief is the right belief, and you want your family to yeah. share that belief because otherwise they are quote unquote wrong with other people yeah. you can kind of disassociate yourself from that emotionally but with your family it's really mm-hmm. really different yeah I, I think about it some now too because like uh you know we, we talked about this before the show but you know i'm my, my family we're we're christians um but like with my kids i think about it quite a bit because i'm like you know um who knows like what direction they're going to go mm-hmm. in life and, and what they're going to believe. And, um, like my daughter is really, uh, my oldest daughter is really, um, vocal about her beliefs in God and things like that, which like as a Christian, you're like, Oh, right. Great. Like that. <laughs> there's part of me that's like, Oh, I must be doing something right. But I want to be really careful because, you know, she's, she's seven. So like, I think a lot of it's probably, you know, she wants to, she probably thinks this is what mom and dad will want. And yeah. And that kind of thing. And so I, I really want to, like, I already think about like, how do I make sure I give her um, space and freedom to, to, to be who she wants to be and like, you know, come, come to these things on her own terms and, and, and make sure like that my love doesn't waver for her anyway, no matter how, like what direction she takes on that, you know? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's um, hard. I mean, and we're going to falter and we're going to make mistakes. So the important part is that, we remind ourselves that what the end goal is and, uh, you know, yeah. fix it, like write ourselves again. So do you take your kids to, to the mosque? And that yes. Kind of thing? Uh, you guys practice together? As uh, absolutely. My, my wife is actually Sicilian background. So our in-laws are Catholic. Um, so we, okay. uh, in, in our family actually uh, observes Christian and Muslim, uh, you know, basically events or holidays. Like we celebrate our Christmas, for example, with our, mother-in-law and Mm -hmm. our father-in-law so my kids actually are exposed to both worlds pretty much equally okay interesting so it's yeah it is there's i mean it 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 takes a a little bit of extra effort to explain to the kids why um different you know my my son started like is on the internet all the time he's 10 years old so of course that's what he does and the other day (laughs) yeah uh, the other day in passing he said Oh, I know about Islamophobia. I read about it, and then my heart just stopped. And I'm like, "What did you read about it? Like, what, what were you exposed to?" Uh, and that's going to keep happening, right? Because I can't control mm-hmm. everything that uh, that he sees. Um, but like at the same time, you have to be able to let go to a certain extent, right? Um, and as they yep. get older, yeah. that letting go is <laughs> whether you want to or not. It's going to happen anyway. So might as well. Yeah, I don't yeah, like it. I don't like, nobody likes it. And <laughs> no parent wants to do that, right? But, but yeah. Like, that's the reality. Yeah. That's what, like, the, we, we wanted it when we were young. Um, so if our parents didn't let us have it, we pushed for it even more, right? That's just how it works. Yep. So you have to. Yeah. yeah, my daughter will get home from her friend's houses in her neighborhood and I'll be like, you know, what, what did you watch over there? <laughs> what did you, you know, like, were you guys on YouTube? Yes. Like, when my son was seven years old, he went to a friend's house. He came back and he said, I didn't play Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, sure you did. 
because <laughs> he, he knows uh, we have it at home and it's in the pile of games he's not allowed to play right so uh, at, right, at that point yeah. he knew that and he's not a very good liar thankfully so <laughs> that's yeah. great I didn't think yeah. it had to <laughs> Methinks thou doth protest too much, right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's funny. So, um, so you you take your you, is your wife? Yes, Muslim she converted too? actually two years before. Okay. Her. Okay. Cool. And how did you guys meet? Uh, we actually were working in the same store together. Uh, it was a store that my dad owned. That so I, I was the boss's son when we met. <laughs> okay. Nice. That's cool. And uh, and so you take your kids to 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 the mosque and that kind of thing. You yes. practice together. Do they do they oh, do week, they yes. profess as? Do, I mean, I know they're kind of ten and eight and five. So are they are they like they they see themselves as as Muslim and believing yes. in God and that kind of thing? Yes, yes, uh, the, uh, very much so at this point. I mean, like you said, who knows in the future? And we'll yeah. love them and respect them regardless of what they decide to do. But for now, that is uh, that's their identity. Yeah, uh, yeah. They know that they're basically they're Canadian of Iraqi and Italian descent. Um, they learn Italian in class and they ha- go to Arabic school as well. So they, they have a little bit of foundation of those two languages. And uh, in school, uh, like proper, they have one day of English and one day of French. So they're polyglots. They, they speak uh, two oh, languages well and they understand two to a certain point. Yeah. And uh, so they're, they're very multicultural. <laughs> yeah. And, Intentionally so, uh, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, the part of their identity is that we're a Muslim family, a Muslim household. So there's not like I think there's not a ton of like religious people in general in game design. No, um, there are not. From my experience, it's at been, least. yeah. So like we, I mean, we have guys and gals in this podcast, and I would say the majority of the people that we talk to, I mean, they're all game designers. Um, the majority of them are atheist or agnostic um and then probably the next thing that you you find is people who are are christian um it's probably the next thing that that comes up after that um but there's very few that i've talked to muslim game designers um so i'd be curious to hear you talk about both those things like just being a religious person in in the game design world and how you've been received and kind of what that experience has been like Uh, then also of course you know, uh, as being a, a Muslim in, in this space? Uh, well, when I started in the industry about 11 and a half, almost 12 years ago now, uh, it was not very welcoming to, to Muslims or to people who to religious people. Actually, the tone, uh, specifically in, in Quebec, where like you know, the province of Quebec in Canada, uh, is very, the, very anti-religion. Uh, and there are, there's, there's actually reason for that. I'm not saying that it's not, to some extent, justified. There's a history here, mm-hmm. and if you dig deep and read about it, there was a, the church exi- they exerted a lot of control over the society. Um, and yeah. you know, there's always whenever there's an action, there's a equal or bigger reaction, of course. And that's kind of what this is. This is still the remnants of that reaction to uh, the control uh, that existed. The problem is people forget that without the church, there were, there were a lot of good things that the church was responsible for wouldn't exist either. Like all the orphanages were run by mm-hmm. the church and the schools were run by the church and um, all, all the social welfare. So that None of that came from the government. All of that came from the church as well. But, you know, it, there's a narrative uh, and that narrative was pushed by politicians um, and it became dominant. And again, partially justified, I, my opinion is not to the extreme that people are taking right now and you really felt that like i actually have been uh in so many conversations with coworkers uh that tried to save me <laughs> you know from from the yeah. evils of religion and uh, they give up at the at the end because i just you know they, they're very um they're they mean well so i like i return um they like i i speak to them in the same way that they speak to me which is with respect and i explain to them that they don't know anything about religion except that it's evil and their facts are not um are, are not accurate they're not they, they don't represent the reality that i'm living and i tell them about all the good things that um that came from my religion etc cetera, etc cetera. and eventually they either get they get either uh, become convinced that they're ignorant about this one topic or they give up out of exhaustion <laughs> either way that was mm-hmm. 10 or so years ago that that kind of stopped 
at that point, I started making my my uh, a name for myself in the industry. I was very vocal because beforehand, before that, I was very quiet about my my beliefs because I didn't want to stand out, right? Um, but uh, eventually, yeah. there was a point where I became the opposite. I decided, no, I'm going to be very vocal. I'm going to let people know that. Um, they... Do you know what like kind of yes. what sparked that? Uh, in you? Actually, I started working on a game that really misrepresented Muslims in a very bad way. Uh, which I'm, I'm not going to name the game mm. specifically, but it had, um, you know, the, the typical uh, Muslims are the villains and one-dimensional evil that want to kill everybody. And at that point, I'm like, this is wrong. And I started talking right. against it. Um, and I was able... That's still yes. pretty prevalent. I mean, I feel like I feel like with all the, the war games that come out, it seems like there's still a lot of stereotyping of, Absolutely. of Islam. Absolutely. In and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I feel big picture, it got better, but the games that were the worst are still the worst at that. They, they didn't learn their lesson or their target audience doesn't care or whatever reasons. Um, either way, that's part sure. a, a seal in me to speak against this and to, to basically say, Hey, no, I'm Muslim. I'm going to stand against this. Um, and what that, that, yeah. What was amazing about that is actually the video game community in Montreal uh, really stood by me. The, the video game dev community, they stood by me and I was given a platform and allowed to speak about this. And I became, I actually consulted uh, with companies that I didn't even work for, uh, for games. And um, solely, I'm not saying it, like, it changed everything, but it did make some kind of impact, right? Um, so that, that was kind mm-hmm. of the transition that happened. Yeah, by speaking up, it sounds like people at least in Montreal and and, uh, and some other places too, like started listening, which is, which is amazing. I mean, it was baby steps at first, but like eventually, like, I don't know if you, if you knew, but I gave a talk about Muslim representation games at GDC last year, or sorry, this year at the beginning of the year in March. Um, that yeah, I heard about talk that. I've been giving for maybe a year before that at different smaller events and it built up to that. Um, but it's not like, I imagine a smaller version of that within you know, peers at the, every company I've worked with. Uh, like that's that's how I I started. I started just by having these conversations and explaining that these things are bad, and that was sparked by a, a situation where I couldn't be silent anymore. It was an extreme, and I, I felt like I was going to be complicit if I allowed that to to happen. Um, and it's not the only kind of um, consultation that I do, but it, because I also I am a person of color, so that falls into the category of saying, "Hey, why is it that the only thief in our game is dark skinned?" <laughs> you know why mm. why are there no right. other dark skinned yeah. characters why is that association here and m- most time you realize that people don't do this intentionally it's like subconscious and um if you explain it to them they're more than willing mm-hmm. to uh you know first of all well, apologize and then correct it uh but people were just too uh, and i was i'm including myself in this group but people were just too scared to um rock the boat or or speak up at one point in the industry because they were the 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 culture has improved and changed very much so in the last 10 years. Uh, but now it's becoming a lot easier to, to stand up. And it's still far from where we should be. It's still very, very, very difficult. And there are still mm-hmm. campaigns, uh, not from game devs in general, but like from fans against people who do speak up. But it's it's light years. About, like people wouldn't yeah. even consider it, wouldn't even think about it 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. It's In some ways, it's it's like it feels safer to speak up now than it used to. But also more dangerous in some ways too. Like, it's it's a weird yeah, the stage we're in right now it. of yeah. Um, yeah. maturity. Yeah, no, that's I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, the stakes are higher. Um, so, do you remember the first time? I'm sure you do yes. that you kind of spoke up about uh, Muslim representation. Yes. Um, can, okay. Can without you, again, like, <laughs> a little window into that. I know you don't want to say like name too many names or anything without mentioning the game specifically what happened is that there was uh, a military game that where all the antagonists were muslim or arab looking uh, somewhere in between mm-hmm. um and there one of the levels that one of the designers was designing took place in a mosque where the armed forces the american armed forces were stationed in the mosque and the mosque was being bombarded by terrorists uh, terrorists even though you were in their country you know that kind of thing Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, right. yeah, it was just because the, there was zero story. The story is we're going to go to this country and we're going to kill people. Like there, there was no backdrop. We're not going to save people from like no. We're we're a military. We're an American military force. American flag was prevalent. 
we're going to go into this country and we will kill people who are not dressed like us. That was as far as the story, mm-hmm. because their boss is evil. And there's, there's, there's right. no mention of civilians. There's no mention of political strife. There's no mention of anything. That, that's how basic mm. it was. Um, and yeah. and the, that scene, specifically that scene where they're stationed in, a, in what is like undeniably a mosque being bombarded, I, I just took a stand. I'm like, no, don't like baby, baby steps. I said, these are the things that are the most offensive about the game. We have to change them. And this is one of them. This is the hill I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna die on. Uh, you cannot have at least don't make this level uh, a mosque. And eventually, th- that franchise, that series, which I think is it's on its sixth or seventh iteration, actually uh, corrected course. That now the antagonists are non-denominational. Yeah, some of them may be Arabs, but whatever. They're from everywhere. Right. There's actually a story, a justification for them. They they are um, not just pure evil. Like they're they're. Uh, they have a dimension so, to them. Uh, the four- yeah. So did did they bend on that issue of the mosque yes. in that particular game? Yes, but almost on none of the others. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and but with each iteration, I was able to um, ma- make sure that even when I left that project, because I, I worked on the first two, uh, and I think mm-hmm. while I was at the company, they worked on the third and the fourth as well. Uh, but even after I left the project, I still. Uh, you know, I was still in the same studio, so I still walked over and said, oh, "Don't do that. Change this." And with mm-hmm. each iteration, I was able to, um, you know, make sure that it self-corrected. I think by the fourth iteration, it was a non-denominational uh, group of terrorists from around the world that had some kind of motivation that was <laughs> believable. Yeah. You know, they 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 were right. So, that, you know, that, that's actually one of the things that set me on a path mm-hmm. to designer because i was so interested in the stories of the of the characters and the stories of of you know that basically yeah yeah that's that's cool that like you know i mean everything didn't change at once but you know if you had never spoken up none of these changes probably there's a good chance none of these changes ever begin to take place so who knows i mean maybe there would have been a huge backlash and uh yeah, maybe they sure. would have changed even more dr- dramatically, but yeah, you you may have saved them <laughs> Some, a lot of headache. Yeah, who knows? Like uh, I, and heartbreak. I, I can't peer into the alternate reality that right. That, yeah, but yeah. like, yeah, who knows? Like, uh, I'd like to think that it was a positive change, but who knows? Maybe they. Do you remember? Like, were were you scared when you first spoke up? Yes. Like, uh, what's this going to mean for my job? How is this going to be received? Like, I'm sure all those thoughts were going through. Yeah, your head. absolutely. But I was very lucky. Like, like I said. I quickly realized that uh, most of the time it was from ignorance. It was just like, oh, sorry, we didn't think Mm -hmm. about it that way. And it's normal. It's really hard to project yourself into what others believe or other think uh, or how they feel, right? Empathy is a a skill that you have to develop like any other. And um, Mm -hmm. I I also noticed that whenever they came back and said no, the only reason they would say no is for production reasons. But we already modeled that stage. But we already recorded the voice actor. It wasn't... You want us to model a whole nother like environment? Exactly. Like that costs money. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> so it's more like lazy and, and well, not necessarily lazy, but money. Exactly. Yeah. Money's always the it's, issue. And that's right? always yeah. been the issue. They're always like, oh, you're right. I see this. We'll fix it for the next game. I'm like, no, no, no. These few points, you have to fix these now. The rest, you could wait till the next game. So that's why like with each yeah. game, that's why it got better because you know, I work, I work I've always worked with decent people. I've, I'm not trying to insinuate otherwise, but it's, they see Hollywood movies and they see how people are depicted mm-hmm. and that's subconscious. So when they think bad guys, you know, the same, like if, if they go back to the eighties, the bad guys would have been Russian or Russian. Like that's just, you know, that's just how it is. That's a, the, it's, it sucks, but that's um, the shortcuts that people build in their heads. You know, they, they manifest themselves in what the people, when people create as well, you have to actually give conscious mm-hmm. thought to, to go against those tropes. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We've got to exam- be willing to like, be willing to be wrong about things. I think so often we don't have productive conversations about rate about representation because we want to jump to the like extremes, exactly. you know, and not slow down and think about well, maybe I'm, maybe I have the wrong view of this, or maybe my my position is a little off, you know. And we don't do the extra work to to. It's like yeah, just to be willing to to have. Our perspective shifted. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I fell in this trap myself with representation of women in games. As like, I'm not going to pretend that I I was you know that I never fell into that. Uh, but 
because sure. I was sensitive to other issues, um, I was, you know, really quickly I realized that I have to shut up and listen when it came to issues where mm. that didn't involve me. So for a woman said, no, that misrepresents us. Uh, I would just say, yes, it does. I mean, I don't have an opinion in this. I don't have <laughs> yeah. a lived experience here. Uh, so being right. part of a minority or a marginalized group allows you to, uh, maybe it's like a shortcut. Yeah, absolutely. And I, this is what I was going to ask earlier that I just, it just completely left me, but uh, I'm curious if your faith plays into that. Like does your, cause it seems like you've kind of developed this, conviction that you're going to speak up when you see something that's that's wrong in a game or something that there, there's there like whether it's it's people of color or muslims being misrepresented in a game like you have this conviction that absolutely like you've been given a you've been given a voice i think and or you've discovered a voice to speak into those things in a way that's like really life-giving and helpful um and I'm curious if your how your faith relates to that. Uh, well, there's a hadith from the prophet. A hadith is a saying of, uh, of of a prophet that's meant for like teaching a lesson or um, you know telling a story. Uh, there's one of the hadiths of the prophets that goes as follows, uh, or the English translation goes as follows: um, If you see an evil, change it with your hand, and if you can't, then change it with your tongue, and if you can't, then hate it with your heart, and that is the least of faith. So basically, there's mm-hmm. a degree of if you're it's okay if you can't, right? Uh, we're, we're not always, we don't always have the power to, to, to enact good, or like to, to, to make positive change. Uh, but if you can, then that's your responsibility. If you're, if you're the person who has access to changing a thing with your hand physically, then do it. Like there's no, there's no excuse if you, for you not to. And if not, then at least speak against it. And if you don't mm. feel that, uh, you even have the power to speak against it for whatever reason, or you can't like suffer the consequences, then the least you could do is just don't justify it. Don't say it's okay. Hate it with your heart. You have to uh, take that stance. And that's actually what, that's what happened with me. Initially, I didn't feel empowered enough to speak, but just by the fact that I didn't say it's okay, but by the fact of staying, like, keeping it in my heart and remembering that this is not a good thing, eventually I summed up the courage to speak. And I, I believe that's what the moral of this hadith is a saying well i'm so glad that you've uh you've been able to i i've heard um a lot of people speak really highly of the talk you gave at gdc you. so um, you know it's on is YouTube. that available yeah, online you can like, watch it on youtube okay oh well, i'm gonna go watch that i didn't realize you could get on youtube i know gdc used to be a little bit more guarded about where you couldn't couldn't find some of their talks it came out so on youtube that's... like a week ago and i gave the talk in march so yeah <laughs> okay cool so if pe- so if our listeners want to um Want to check that out? What would they search for on it's YouTube? It's called a how-to guide for Muslim representation in video games. Okay, cool. Oh, it's right here. I just I have your Twitter yeah. up. It's your first tweet. Yeah, it's, it's your pinned exactly. tweet. I mean, so <laughs> that's another way to find it there. So you can also find it through at Osama Dorius. It's his pinned tweet right now. So there we go. Cool. Well, I'm definitely going to watch Thank that. Uh, one last question I wanted to ask you, and you touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious about in general your work in the games industry and your work in game design, how does your faith in God influence or impact the work you do on games on a, on a daily basis? Everything I do, as I said, has to tell a story. And for me, it's uh, like the stories I choose to tell. It's about uh, lessons uh, to either, you know, better the world or better individuals. Um, like I mentioned, Dungeon Hunter was about the nuclear arms race because that was a thing that was on my mind at the time and how everyone points at everyone else and demonizes them. Uh, so mm-hmm. in that game, the demons became the literal uh, weapons that we, you know, pointed at each other. Uh, so it was a, a manifestation of that. Uh, that's how, like, uh, everything I do is about that. Like, I don't, I want to have like moral practices for economy design. I want to have um, AIs that, or, or stories for the NPCs that humanizes even our villains you know to show that maybe they have mm-hmm. a, a reason for why they are the way they are uh, as much as possible because you know we are a big team working on things so you just do, you play your part and you put a little bit of yourself in things but that that's what drives yeah. me it's to, to try to show uh, others that even the enemy has motivations and they're not necessarily mm-hmm. and everything is subjective like you're your enemy is the hero of their own story i know that's a cliche but it's it's a valid mm-hmm. one yeah. 
Yeah, people are complex yeah. and interesting and multifaceted, and we do well to think about that. I think we'd all do well to think about that a little bit more and, and how not only what we make and design and things, but for our listeners, like what we consume and, um, you know, the, the stories we consume and things to, to realize that, uh, yeah, there's a whole big world out there. So that's cool. That's great, man. Well, um, where can people find you online? Uh, I mentioned your, your Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. So that's probably the go-to, uh, if you want boring pictures of my life, you could also find me on Instagram, but I'm not really active on that at all. I just have it for the sake of having okay, it. Cool. Uh, th- those are probably yeah. the, the best place is probably Twitter. I am I'm there every day. Uh, I, I have you know my LinkedIn is for business things and my Facebook is for family and friends. Yeah, if you that. just want to send cool. me a message, well, yeah. uh, you could also go to my website osamadorius.com. That's kind of like my landing page portfolio website, and it has a contact form as well on the bottom for anything that doesn't Excellent. fit in it. Cool. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This Thank was you great. for having me, Drew. I had a really good time. Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing your story and, uh, you know, um, I really appreciate your voice in, in the games design and the games design space and the games industry. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, uh, if you want to follow Love Thy Nerd, just follow us at Love Thy Nerd on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you want to join the Love Thy Nerd community, there's search for Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook. We have a whole big, very active Facebook community. Go check that out. Uh, another way you can really help us is by rating and reviewing our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or any other platform, preferably iTunes. That would help us the most. Uh, spread the word about this podcast on, on Facebook, Twitter, um, all the social medias. We'd really appreciate that. Um, also go check out our other podcasts. We have pull list, which is a comic book podcast. We also have free play, which is a general nerd culture, uh, podcast. Um, that's really great, really funny, a lot funnier, a lot more lighthearted than this podcast. So go check that out. Um, and I believe that's it for us. Oh, check out the great articles at lovelynerd.com. Uh, we've got some really great features up there. Um, go check it out and uh, definitely, definitely uh, tell people about Love Thy Nerd. We'd appreciate it. <laughs>